Um, I, I want to thank Mr. Bob for inviting me this evening. We are so thrilled to be here, uh, and I'm so happy to be sharing a, a piece of God's Word with you this evening. I've got my, my wife here with me. We've been married for about a year and a half. Um, she, she works as a dental assistant in, in Inverness, um, and I work as a, uh, a metallurgist in uh, a steel mill in Silicaga. Um, and we, we both attend the, the Vestavia Church of Christ. And again, we are just uh, so thrilled to be here with you uh, this evening. And as, as you may know, my, my dad is Jeff May, as, as Bob mentioned, and he, he preached in uh, Gardendale in the early 2000s. And so that's just a little bit uh, about me and how you might know me. Um, this evening, if you don't mind, I'd like to go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Dear God, our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for creating us to be your people. Uh, we hope that we take this opportunity to uh, study and learn more about you. Uh, we, we hope that we take that seriously. And I pray for your help this evening. Help me to uh, present your word effectively. Uh, forgive us when we fail you. And all this I pray in your name. Amen. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Anybody remember Paul Harvey? A few of the, uh, the older folks are raising their hands. Um, for those, those of you that are younger and, and might not know who Paul Harvey is, he was a, a radio broadcaster for many years. And uh, he would tell these fascinating stories. And he would, at, at the very end of that story, he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. My favorite one that he tells is, is if I were the devil. And I want to go ahead and read that for you this evening. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate, four-fifths of its population, but I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, you. And so I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And to the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction and the rest I'd tranquilize with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellect, but neglect to discipline emotion just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. 
I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, and in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned and that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is, way to, is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, well, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey in 1965 narrated this piece. 1965. How much of this do you think still applies today? Wouldn't you say every bit of it? You see, the devil doesn't work in, in new ways. He works in effective ways. Why? Why does the devil work in, in effective ways? Because he knows you. The devil knows what really gets you going. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You can think about any example in the Bible, and in those examples the devil attacks what that particular person wanted. And that area will always link back to this verse in 1 John. Satan does not, does not attack an area in your life unless it's something that you want. Turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This verse tells us how sin is, is first conceived. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Let no one say when, I, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, fully grown, brings forth death. The devil makes sin appealing to you. He will lure you away by whispering, do as you please. Well, it won't hurt just this one time. No one is home, so no one's going to find out. I'm on a business trip in another, in another state. Who's going to find out? You know you want to. 
These are all things that, that might run through your head as, as you are considering um, a sin that you might want to partake in. Let's go back and look at James 1 and verse 12. James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, this verse says. And so God has been at war with Satan since the beginning. But the time is coming that the devil will be done away with. So this evening I want you to think about who you will serve for eternity. When I was thinking about the story, if I were the devil, I thought of four different points, and I'd like to share those with you this evening. The first thing that I noticed was that there is a constant battle for our souls. We need to understand first off that we are in a battle every single moment of every single day of every single year for our souls. Our souls can be destined in heaven or lost in hell. All it depends upon is who you choose to follow in your everyday trials. In every situation that you are faced with, every single day, you have two options, and that's it. Either keep God at the front of your mind and use His Word and wisdom in every situation that you are faced with, or just do what you want. Do what pleases you. You know, Dad once told me, if God and Satan were neighbors, if they lived right next to each other and there was a fence in between them, that, that Satan would own that fence. And that means that, that you cannot serve God and Satan. There is no way to be in between because the devil owns the in-between, right? Jesus explained it best in Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me there. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Verse 21 of this chapter goes back to James 1. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And James says sin is first conceived when you are drawn away by your own desires. And so there is a constant battle between serving God and serving ourselves every day. In the Bible there are a few examples that embody this war the most in my mind. Adam and Eve at the beginning of time in my mind is a great example of this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2.
Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God here commands Adam that he can eat of anything he wants to eat of, except two trees. However, look with me in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That heading in, in, my, in my Bible is the downfall of man. God had plainly laid out exactly what He wanted Adam to do. Free, total reign of the garden. You can have anything you want except those two trees in the midst. Then Satan comes along and says, did God surely say? In other words, did God really mean what He says? The devil says quite plainly the opposite of what God had commanded them. Satan won this battle. However, look with me in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his seal. Satan might have won that battle, but there's a foreshadowing here of Jesus crushing Satan's head as he will rise from the grave and give us a way to deal with sin. Another example that comes to my mind of the war between Satan and God is that of Jesus being tempted. Satan will certainly come after anyone he thinks he might can win over. Jesus, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, is tempted by Satan. And Jesus answers him with Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms, kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The only way to fight the devil is by choosing in your mind who you belong to. Jesus answered with Scripture, keeping God, His Father, at the front of His mind. And we have to fight the exact same way, always remembering who we are and who we belong to. And so I ask you this evening, do you belong to God, or do you want to ride the fence that the devil owns? You cannot come in here and, and, and fill up a pew and just kind of check off your, uh, your box on Sunday and, and expect to... Uh, to be saved. You know, this is, you, you can't come in here and, and serve God and serve yourself. That's not how it works. That's riding the fence that the devil owns. You might can trick everyone here in this building, but God knows your heart. This battle is real, and this battle is deadly. Joshua says, choose for you this day whom you will serve. And in my house, the decision has already been made that we will serve the Lord. Jesus fought Satan the best when he fought with Scripture. But if you remember in verse 5 of Matthew 4, Satan used Scripture against Jesus. And so that leads to my next point. And that is that Satan will absolutely use a little bit of the truth to get you to sin. Here, Satan uses Scripture, right? A little bit of the truth to try to get Jesus to stumble. A little bit of the truth can get your mind to easily believe that it is the whole truth. I think of the parable of the leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? A little truth makes you feel like it's the whole truth sometimes. I hear many people in today's time say, well, that's your truth. Wouldn't God want me to be happy? These little truths can make people feel like it's their whole truth, right? There is a little bit of truth in these, in these thoughts that people might have. However, the Bible is truth, right? It's all inspired by God. Yes, God wants you to be happy, but not happy doing what you want. He wants you to be happy to serve Him and fight for Him. God's truth is the only one that matters. The Bible, time and time again, shows that the, that the things which God has promised are spoken of has happened exactly as he said it would. The Bible teaches that Scripture itself is inspired by God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired by God. Who are we to stand in the way of Scriptures like this? God's truth is the only one 
that matters. God's truth is the only one that will judge us for eternity. The devil knows where he's heading for eternity and wants to take with him as many as possible. The saying, misery loves company, is certainly true with Satan. Satan does not care about you. He does not care for your soul. He doesn't care how you live your life. He does not care for your family. He doesn't care at all. He's a liar and the father of lies, John 8, called him. So again, we need to choose who we want to serve for eternity and realize that Satan can use little bits of truth to get us to stumble. And the only way we need to combat that is we need to understand God's entire truth and we need to follow his inspired word. The next point that I want to show you is that the devil walks about like a roaring lion. You know, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed watching nature documentaries. I, I was a huge fan of, of nature. I loved to be outside in the woods. I, I hunted from a very, very young age. I loved to fish. I still do. I still love to, to hunt and fish. That's something that I love to do. But nature documentaries just blew my mind when I was a kid. I loved watching them. But there's, there's one animal in nature that always caught my eye, and that was the lion. And the way that a lion hunts is, is amazing to me. And when you, when you look at verses like this that say the devil walks about like a roaring lion, it, it makes it make sense. The way that lions hunt is they'll, they'll sit, they'll find, a, they'll find an entire group of prey, and they'll sit for hours and they'll watch this prey and study this prey. Um, and a lot of the times it's a, it's a large group. They'll sit there and study that group for a, a long, long time. And finally, they'll attack when one of those prey just gets a little bit too far away from its group. So how do we apply that to the group here at Oak Mountain tonight? When uh, we are in a, a very large group called Christianity, right? And the devil is described as a lion, so we can safely assume that he hunts the same way a lion does. Well, if you, if you think about it, you have Satan over here watching this group called Christianity. And what Satan does as a lion is he waits for you to get just a little bit too far away from your group called Christianity. When you get just a little bit too far away from what you know as a Christian, that's when you can expect an attack, just like a lion in nature. There's two examples that come to my mind of people that got just a little bit too far away from who they served. The first one that I, I thought of was David. We all know the story of David and Bathsheba. It's very familiar to us. However, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11. And we'll just read verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It's here that we see David is at home, lying on his couch, verse 2 says, while his army is at war. He walks out on his roof, sees Bathsheba bathing, and, well, you know the rest of the story, right? A man after God's own heart 
breaks at least half of the Ten Commandments in a couple of chapters. Why? Because he was not where he was supposed to be. He had gotten a little bit too far away from his group, right? And the devil was watching like a lion and attacked. We've already seen Jesus attacked by Satan. And so what's to uh, David after a man after God's own heart attacked? And so what stops the devil from, from attacking you? Another example of people being where they shouldn't is Achan. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. And at the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as uh, the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up, to, up into the city. Every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Here Joshua basically says to the people, Jericho is ours. However, we need to do just as God commanded concerning the things that are devoted to him. But let's look at Joshua 7. Joshua 7 and verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sends some to Ai, for it was smaller than Jericho. And the Israelites are defeated. The Lord told Joshua that Israel had sinned and taken some of the devoted things. With the Lord's help, Joshua finds out that Achan has taken some of the devoted things. Notice what Achan says in chapter 7, starting in verse 20. Chapter 7, starting in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of, of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan and his whole family are put to death. Sin may not always bring physical death as it did here in this example. But it will always bring spiritual death. The devil knew that Achan was not where he needed to be mentally and easily won this attack against Achan. And so the devil walks about like a roaring lion. And we need to remember in every situation we are faced with who we are as Christians and always stay close to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, the Bible says. 
And lastly, I want you to know that God will ultimately win the war. God will do away with sin and death one day. Turn with me, turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, and we'll, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was, stranger, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did, we see you in si when, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into, er into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The righteous will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The ones on the left will be cast into eternal fire with the devil and his angels. There will be no victory at all for Satan. And so who will you serve? And in conclusion, we as Christians need to be alert and on the lookout for situations that can challenge us. Turn with me to one more passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand this evening that the devil is constantly waiting to attack you. He does not care who you are, he will attack. We need to remember that there is a battle for our souls constantly, and we cannot serve two masters. We need to remember that the devil will use little bits of truth that can make us feel like it's the whole truth. A half-truth is a whole lie. We need to remember that God's truth is the only one that matters. God's truth will be what judges us eternally. 
And we need to remember that God will win the war. Joshua says, choose for you this day whom you will serve. This evening there's an invitation to choose whom you will serve in this battle. Jesus said as he ascended into heaven, behold, I am coming quickly. No one knows the day or the hour of his return, but this evening there is still time. Will you answer his call through baptism? Or maybe you've, maybe you've been dealing with sin and tired of it in your life and you want to make that right. If there's any need this evening, please come as we stand and sing.